Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, it is the real deal. We've been talking about that the whole thing, the whole time over the past bunch of weeks. What does real love look like? How do you become a person who loves authentically? How can you see um, the real deal in a person if they're telling the truth or not in terms of what it means to be someone who's talking about God and teaching about who God is. Can you spot a phony? Can you spot a fake? And we've been talking about Jesus himself as all these different versions of Jesus are presented. How do you know if you're getting the real one? And so this whole time we've been talking about this, and so we're going to be wrapping up our series today, and I'm so glad you're with us. It's great to see so many of you here on Memorial Day weekend. You're, you're so smart for not going out of town, you know? Yeah, because there was so much traffic leaving on Friday going westbound on the 10. I was going the other way, and I felt bad for all those people, you know? All that way, all that sitting in their car just to go to California. Like, who wants to go there, you know? Like, this is the place to be. So you were smart to stay here, and you could be a part of what we're doing. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass. I'm so glad that you are with us, and and glad you're with us on a Memorial Day weekend. And hopefully you will get an opportunity not just to hang out and have a barbecue, but to remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom and our liberty so that we could come here and worship like we do, and we could do it in freedom without fear, and we could um, have our lives directed um, to live under God and not under the thumb of some crazy dictator or some crazy uh, ruler that wants to run our lives. And so people have made the ultimate sacrifice to make that happen for us. And so we should um, take time and remember that this weekend. So I want to make a statement and then we're going to kind of go from there. Either you overcome the world or the world overcomes you. It's just the way that it goes. Either you overcome the world or the world overcomes you. Either you love the world and you become a slave to the world and you buy all that it sells you and drink all of the Kool-Aid only to have it turn on you and destroy you in the end. Just ask Harvey Weinstein. Or you figure out a way to live in this world so that you can prevail in it. Even you might say overcome it. And that's why we're here today, because we have to learn how to prevail in this world, how we can actually overcome it, because if we don't, it will one way or another break us. What do we mean by the world anyway? Well, in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So, so the world has to do with these things, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the things that we see and we want and we think can make us happy or fulfill us. And it's these very things that will become our downfall. This idea is reflected well in the lyrics to a well-known John Mayer song where he says, gravity is working against me and gravity wants to bring me down. And he said it was the most important song he's ever written as he talks about these forces that basically want him to screw up his life in, in his words. 
Stephen Pressfield, the great novelist, writes about this force called the resistance that stands against him and whatever he wants to do that's constructive and good that he's trying to achieve in his life. There's this, there's this counterbalancing force that tries to tear him down. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I don't understand the things that I'm doing. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And it's like there's this evil working against me. And while, you know, guys like Mayer and Pressfield would not necessarily profess to be Christians, they both can rightly identify a force that's trying to overcome them. And there is a force that is trying to overcome you. We as Christians would refer to it in the spiritual realm as Satan, the powers of the dark world, but, that, but he uses that. He uses the, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life to be able to drag us down. And so how are we going to figure this out, right? How are we going to live in this world in a way that is going to be successful and, and navigate all of this minefield that's out there? What is our plan? Well, today I want to offer you a plan, and it's very, very simple. In fact, I'm, I'm so excited about this message. I, I hope I'm not overly excited about it. But um, it's just like, I, I don't want to speak in superlatives all the time and like, this is the best thing ever. But like, I don't know, I, go, I, I got done with this and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. So I'm sorry if that's the way that it is. But, but this is a plan that offers a way of life that brings life. That offers a way of life that compounds in its goodness and its strength. And so um, we're going to read this out of 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses. We're not going to get through the whole book because we don't really have time, but you can read the rest on your own. And John is, it's a great book. It was actually designed to be read. The whole letter was designed to be read at one time, like in a church service kind of a thing. And so we've kind of taken weeks to talk it through. So he kind of repeats himself in some ways, but we're going to capture this and we're going to talk about what it means. But he says this in, in chapter five, verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves, um, everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. That's huge, by the way, so just remember that because we're going to come back to that. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. Really? Well, we'll come back to that later, too, because that's, that's like, really? I don't know if I, if I agree with that, right? But for everyone who has been born of God, listen to this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now that's a lot right there. And I recognize that. And so to reduce the confusion of all of this, I have made another drawing. Yeah, some of you are like, uh, but so if you don't know, I have a tendency to make little drawings that I think illustrate something well. I'm, a, I'm horrible at, at any kind of artwork or anything like that, but rather than doing this like PowerPoint thing, I just kind of draw a picture and then, and then take a picture of that. So this is what I've got here, and I'm, I'm sorry about my penmanship. My mother would be embarrassed, but... Um, but, but this is what it is. And I, I really think this is, this is incredible when you, when you really look at it. And I want you to look at this, and then we're going to go through it, because it kind of walks us through the passage. 
So this is the little drawing that I made. Now over on the left, you have loving God. That's where we start. So loving God, by the way, is kind of the whole point of human existence in case you didn't know. So if you're wondering, like, what am I supposed to do in my life? It's really simple. You love God with everything you've got. And how do we know this? When Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, a real know-it-all guy, what's the most important commandment to follow of all the you know, hundreds and hundreds of commandments that these guys had come up with in addition to the ones that God had said? And he said, it's very simple. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, everything you've got. He's not to be second place. He's not supposed to be your co-pilot. He's supposed to be your pilot. He's not supposed to be the passenger seat. He's supposed to be the driver. This is the great and first commandment. So it's not really up for debate. So if you want to overcome the world, in other words, if you want to figure out how to live in this life successfully and not have it break you in the end, this is a really good place to start. Now, most people won't even get this far because they will say the most important thing in life is to satisfy myself, that I've got to achieve happiness, or what people say, well, all you really need to do in your life is you need to follow your heart, and that's terrible advice. I think it was Gabe that said this. Um, we were talking about this earlier in the week. I think it was him that said, all of the Disney movies, that's the theme of like every Disney movie. Follow your heart. Don't listen to your parents. They're idiots, you know? Um, and, and whatever. But there's somehow there's this buried this, follow your heart, right? And yes, that's what. And there's a song and everybody dances, follow your heart, whatever. Okay, that's what happens. Now, here's the problem. Every guy or woman rotting in prison has taken that advice, <laughs> right? This guy's like, oh, I know my mama would say that this is a really bad idea, right? I should not do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? I know that I should not, um, you know, rob this store or kill this person or steal this, whatever it's going to be. But guess what? I'm going to do it anyway because I know in my heart this is a great idea. Well, guess what? It wasn't. So the most important thing in your life, according to Jesus, is not to be happy or to follow your heart or even to be true to yourself. Well, I got to be true to myself. Well, that's great, but the problem is it's so easy to lie to yourself, right? This donut won't hurt me. <laughs> it's so easy to lie to yourself. Happiness, by the way, is not something, it's nothing wrong with being happy, but happiness is a byproduct of loving God. It's about, so you don't always be like jump for joy happy, but happiness is a byproduct of loving God. So the most important thing in all of life is we love God, and we start there, and we say we love God, we mean love God with everything, our hearts and our souls and our minds, so that when we die and people think of things to say about us, they'll go, you know, look, there's a lot of things we can say, but someone's got to make sure and stand up and say, look, the guy really loved God, right? There's like, if we miss that, we miss everything. So maybe they were like a diehard, you know, Arizona Cardinals fan, or they had like a great stamp collection or whatever, but that really pales in comparison, which is really sad because you go to people's funerals and the things they talk about, you know, these inane things, like he loved his car, you know? Wow, it's the best you got, you know? Um, but it's like, so you have to say, no, listen, if we're going to really capture this person's life, someone's got to say they loved God because it was so evident and clear. So the whole point of your life is to love God with the love that he's shown us through Jesus. So, so this is the thing. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is what it says. And everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So there's this logical progression. 
So, so we love, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that, that God sent him himself in a human form and, to, to, and he says, look, I want you to see my love for you. And when you capture the extent of God's love, then that person who sees that has the ability to overcome the world. Well, what do we mean by born of God, by the way? Well, it's a reference to John's other book, which was creatively entitled John. It's like, there's John, and then there's like first, second, and third John, so that's not confusing. But anyway, um, where he says Jesus, he quotes Jesus saying, you need to have a spiritual birth, not just a physical birth, because everyone has like a physical birth, right? But that's not enough. You have to have a spiritual birth. And that's where God's spirit lives in you. So you're reborn or you're born again. So this is what we're talking about when we say born of God. So we start there, but then look at what it says, because now it starts to get a little bit tricky for us. Because then it says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So in other words, if you love God, then you will love his children, which is a pretty amazing illustration if you think about it. Because in other words, if you have friends who have kids, it's kind of an indication that you like those friends if you take an interest in their children, or if at least you pretend to take an interest in their children. How are your kids doing? Mm. They graduated. That's great. No, no but no, seriously, like, like you, that's the one way that you show interest in these people is to show interest in their kids. Now, you would never go up to somebody or a couple or whatever and say, hey, you know, I just want you guys. You guys are the greatest people. You're this wonderful couple. You're, you're just amazing. I'm so glad you're in my life. But your kids really suck. <laughs> like, you would never say that, right? Even if you thought it, you would never say it. Because that's not, that would not get you any points because the way a second, how can you say you love me and despise my children? But see, a lot of us do that with God. Oh God, I love you, but I can't stand your kids. You know, they're pain in the butt. They talk in the movie theater and they drive too slow in the carpool lane and they're just annoying and I just can't stand them all. No, you, why would you? But we do that. Oh, I love you, God. I just can't stand your children. God's up there going, that doesn't make any sense to me. That personally offends me. These are my children. I made them in my image. And John's saying, if you love God, you've got to take an interest in his kids. Which again, follows exactly what Jesus said. Because when Jesus said, hey, the best thing you can do in all of your life, if you want to boil all these commandments down, is you love God with everything that you have, all your heart and your soul and your mind. And by the way, like just tucked right underneath that, like as an outgrowth manifestation addendum to that, love your neighbor as yourself, because you can't do one without the other, right? So, so he puts those two together, and you can hang everything God ever wanted you to do on those two commandments. This is totally essential, and if you miss that, you miss everything. So this is a big deal, and it makes the second part of our little illustration up here. Loving God requires me to love my neighbor. Loving God requires me to take an interest in people and pursue their good, as we talked about. By the way, some of you are going, Hey, you know, you guys keep throwing different definitions of love at us because like Gabe came up and he gave a definition of love and then Mike came up and he gave a definition of love and then Tim, you came up last week and you gave your own definition of love and they're all a little bit different. And you go, you know what, that's fine. That's true. 
But you have to understand something. Love is a very huge, complex, complicated subject, and there's different angles that we can take it at, right? So if you were to go to the Grand Canyon, let's say we all went to the Grand Canyon together, and we all took pictures of the Grand Canyon, and we compared them all, they would all have some similarities, but they'd all be different. They'd be different vantage points that we'd be catching, but it'd be the same thing. Because that's the way that we have to understand the love of God and, and how we express love differently to one another. So just so you know, that when we talk about it, yeah, we offer different definitions based on where John was heading in these different passages, and this is no different here. And so when we talk about loving God requires me to love one, uh, to, to, requires me to love my neighbor and we love one another. Now this is where we get to the heart of the issue because how do we know, this is the real fun part, how do we know that we are loving God's children? How do we know? Because we can't love God and not love his kids. We already said that. So how do we know we're actually doing that? Well, he tells us. Blew me away when I read this, by the way. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God, okay, duh, we get that, and obey his commands. Ooh, Well, now that's new. That's new. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Again, we'll get into that in a minute because I think there's a huge thing there too. But this is really important. This is why you see up there is loving God requires. It's a requirement that I love his kids and ready for this, which I cannot do that. I cannot love people unless I'm obeying God's commands. You can't say you love your neighbor. You can't say you're a loving person. You can't say, oh, I have a good heart. I love people. I'm a loving person. You cannot say that unless you are obeying God's commands, according to what we just read here. Now, why is that important? Because we have this massive divide now between intentions and actions, between what you think you are doing in your heart and what you're actually doing with your life. Now, why is this important? Because we have all these people running around with the prevailing cultural idea that we are good people. So people will say, well, I have a good heart. Like, there's not a person in this room that, that would say, you know, that, well, maybe in this room, but in, in the average, ask the average person, do you have a good heart? Well, of course I have a good heart. Do you mean well? Of course I mean well. Do you have good intentions? Of course I have good intentions. Well, then why did you do that? Uh, well, that wasn't me. I mean, it was me, but it wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what happened there. I had a little too much drink, you know? I was just, I wasn't in my right mind, right? There was some other force that came over and took over my body and did that. Because that's not me. Because I would not do that. Because I am a good person with a good heart and good intentions. And by the way, when people say that, I really think that they mean that. I really think that most people in their hearts are shocked by their evil behavior because they go, wait a second, I am convinced 100% that I am a good person. And a good person doesn't do that. So that must not have been me. And it is a very, very difficult and painful and crazy thing when you try to connect the evil a person does with who they really are because it is a shock and it is horrifying to most people because we have convinced ourselves that we all have good hearts. We just occasionally do terrible things. And, but this, this blows, and John says, no, 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 no. No, listen, I don't care how you feel about a person. 
I don't care how you feel about humanity. I don't care how you feel about yourself in relationship to other people. Your, the way you gauge whether or not you love, the, the, in this case, the people of God, but you could extrapolate it and say anybody who's been created on this planet, the way you can tell whether or not you really are a loving person is if you are following and obeying the commands of God. And most people would never put those two together. They go, I don't need to obey God to love people. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. And we're going to prove it right now. Again, most people would not say, they would say, I can love people and not obey God. That's, those two are totally mutually exclusive. Let's take, we'll say, because you say, well, what are you, what are you, how are you going to prove that? Well, he says, follow, obey the commandments. Well, what commandments are we talking about? The Ten Commandments? Well, not necessarily the Ten Commandments, but since you brought it up, let's say that, let's take one of the Ten Commandments. Let's just take one as an example. Let's take a fun one, like do not commit adultery. That gets everyone's attention. Let's take that one, and let's say, like, what, so in other words, our logic is, if we're going to be loving people, we have to obey the commands of God, which a lot of people would say, nah, you don't need to do that. And I'm, I'm saying the scripture says absolutely you need to do that. Otherwise, you're not a loving person. So here's an example. If you take the command, do not commit adultery, what he's trying to say is, you know you love God's children if you follow his commandments, one of which is do not commit adultery. So by the way, as a disclaimer, just to use this as an example, if that's been a part of your life, we're not here to rail on you. If this is your past and you've already dealt with it and whatever, I'm not here to dig up painful stuff you know, and make you feel terrible. This is an example that hopefully we can get out ahead of this stuff for some other people so that they won't maybe do the same thing and you probably would agree that that's a good idea so don't hear all this like judgment on things that you can't change in the past but if we were to take the adultery command seriously in other words we would say listen as part of this i'm going to say i i look at god and say god i never ever 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 want to do that in my life that's like really really important to me then what it will do is it will actually change the entire way in which i live as it relates to people of the opposite sex. Because I'll say, look, I never want to do anything sexually with someone else's wife or husband or cheat on my own spouse. That's just like really, really important to me because it's one of God's commands and I show God I love him by how I obey him and if I'm loving, I'll actually obey God's commands as well. That's an indication of them loving people. So if that's you, when you take this command, you're going to say like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I don't ever even get close to that. So that means I'm probably going to watch how I carry myself around people of the opposite sex, which is going to require a certain amount of self-discipline and monitoring of everything in my life. So it means, for example, that when I'm at work or I'm out hanging out with people or in different environments, I'm going to maybe start by making sure that I'm not somebody that's always dropping these little innuendos all the time, you know? And playing these stupid little games with people that kind of just kind of crack open the door a little bit because it's fun. Because I don't want to crack open the door because I want to follow the command. So I don't even want to get near the door opening because I might go through it. And it doesn't mean that I don't have her ever like joke around like with any kind of, you know, in a human way. But I just, there's lines and you guys know when there's lines, right? And we just be careful. We just don't want to cross those lines. Not only that, but I'm going to become someone who does everything I could possibly do to not be alone with a person of the opposite sex as far as I can help it. Because I just don't want to do that, and, you know, especially if that person's married and I'm married and that sort of thing. 
And in so doing, now maybe you're in a situation where, hey, look, that's just not possible. There's situations where I have to be alone with a person of the opposite sex and we're both married. Now, that's fine, but I'm going to make sure and keep some physical distance because I know that proximity is intimacy. I know that the closer I get to someone, the more that, and the more that we're talking and sharing and time spent, the more there's a natural gravitational pull that happens between people because that's how we're made. And I'm not going to deny nature but I am gonna acknowledge this, so I'm just gonna be careful, why? Because I don't wanna violate that command. And so furthermore, I'm gonna also watch the things that I'm looking at, and that I'm seeing, and that I'm reading, and that I'm going to the movies and paying good money to watch. I'm also gonna make sure I'm not private messaging people at two o'clock in the morning who aren't my spouse, because weird things happen between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And I just don't, I'm just not going to do that. There's no reason for me to do that. Because maybe that's not adultery, but I'm getting a little bit closer to the line. And see, I remember many years ago, my mother and I, we hiked up to the very top of Half Dome in Yosemite National Park. And if you haven't done that, it's a really amazing thing. And so we go all the way up to Half Dome, which is like this sheer cliff, right? And some people are crazy and they go up the cliff side. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I went up, went up the backside and it was great. Went up to the little cables and got up to the very top of the rock. And here's this beautiful view. And I remember the edge of the cliff was right there, and in my mind, I thought, and there were some people standing right at the edge of the cliff. And they're like, whoa, look at me, and they're taking pictures. They didn't have selfies back then. They had regular cameras, so they had to pose and everything, and they're like standing there and whatever, and I'm watching these people, and I'm going, you know, I'm kind of a thrill seeker. I've done bungee jumping and skydiving and stuff, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay like five or six feet back. Because I don't, because in my mind, and maybe I have an overactive imagination, but there could be like a gust of wind that comes up or some crazy guy that's like, you know, I don't know. Okay, so I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay like a few feet back because I really don't want to go over the edge of that cliff because you cannot go back. And so I'm going to stay back here so I can build what? Margin into my life. So that way, if, I, if a crazy guy does come up and try to shove me, at least I got a fighting chance. Or if a wind gust does come up and blow, at least I can, you know, I have a little bit of wiggle room. And you have to do that in your life, or you, if you're always dancing on the edge, you have no room for error. And I don't have that much confidence in myself, right? And neither should you. So you build, well, it's not adultery. Well, who cares? You're, you're like three steps closer, and you said you didn't want to violate that, violate that command. So what you're doing now is you're building in a lifestyle where you're just careful. And not only am I arguing in the negative, but now we flip over to the positive and say, if I am someone who's married, then what I do is, not only do I prevent myself from other people, but I actively keep turning my attention and my energy towards my spouse. And we're investing in that relationship, the two of us, and I realize that it takes two to tango, but I'm taking, I'm, we're investing in our relationship so that we can keep cultivating that so we protect ourselves from these potential threats, right? And so we, we exert the energy of, of our sexuality and all that kind of stuff towards each other, and that just helps create a buffer zone between, you know, things that could happen with other people. So this is what happens. Now, if you start living like that, here's what happens. You dramatically reduce the chances of breaking that commandment of committing adultery, which by the way, you could say is kind of good for not only you, but your whole family and the family of the person that you thought about having adultery with. Don't you think? You could even say that you're acting towards God's kids in a loving way because you're not letting a sinful potential proclivity, you know, tear apart another family. 
Isn't that kind of a loving thing to act towards people in a way that keeps you out of the, resp- out of the possibility, out of the realm of possibility of destroying and disrupting and tearing apart another family? It seems like a decently intelligent plan. And more than that, let me talk to the men in particular. Men, do you think if you actually said, you know what, I think part of actually loving people is to follow God's commands, so I'm really going to take this command seriously and orient my life towards there's just like no stinking way in the world I'm ever going to be accused of doing this, then, don't, then you, here's the deal, you don't have a snowball's chance in Hades of ever getting legitimately named as a perpetrator in the hashtag MeToo movement. You'll never get named. They'll never come after you. Because they got nothing on you. Because you're like, look, man, you can, get, you, can, you can go after me for, you know, I drive too fast on the freeway or once in a while I say a bad word or, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but that area, I'm sorry, man. Because that's really important to me. So you got nothing on me. Because I try to live my whole life in a way that is respectful to the people around me and makes it very clear that I got something going on that's very special here. You live your life that way, they're going to leave you alone. They got not, they got, because there's plenty of other dudes out there that they got plenty of dirt on, but not you. You treat women in your life, as it says in 2 Timothy, when Paul says to Timothy, you treat you, the, the women in your life with absolute purity. It's just like the standard. Now here's where it gets good. Because we know that sexual sin is one of the most common ways that people destroy their lives. You can say it's one of the most common things that overcomes people. We see examples of this in the media all the time because it involves the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It is the world, if there ever was an example of what we're talking about. But if you follow this command out of love for God's kids, because you can't love God's kids unless you follow his commands, which we already said, then here's the deal. That aspect of the world cannot get you. It cannot overcome you. It will not break you. You will overcome it. Because you obey God's commands. Oh, and a nice byproduct of that is you actually appear very loving to people, even if you don't always like them. Well, how can I be loving to people? I don't like Obey God's commands. You'll come off very loving. That's just one example. This is not a sermon about adultery. It's just one example. I mean, look what it says. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. And see, when you have faith, you begin to live it. You don't just believe in Jesus. I mean, like anyone believes in Jesus. I believe there's a God named Jesus that existed and whatever. No, you actually believe Jesus. Because it's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to believe him when he says something. Oh, yeah. Do I actually believe? Hmm, that's a different story. So who is it that overcomes the rule except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now let's go back to this drawing here because that's why at the bottom of this whole thing, it says, this is how you overcome the world, by the way. This is how you do it. So if you want a really simple plan of how to make sure this world does not break you, now you might terribly, tragically get some disease or have some other thing happen to you, but it's not going to be your own undoing. And you can live your life with a sense of honor and dignity and faithfulness, and, you will, and you, that can never be broken if you follow this. Because then, by the way, when it says, well, his commands are not burdensome, what are you talking about? Trying to avoid sexual sin is very burdensome. Maybe, but it's not as burdensome as falling into it. Because when you fall into it, it destroys your life. And then it wrecks your soul. Right? 
So we can take other commands as well. How about do not steal? You say, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that seriously. Like, I just don't want, I, I just want to be a person who doesn't steal. Well, what's the big deal? And then all of these legalistic people say, well, you know, like, I make sure I never steal. You know, so you freak out. I accidentally took a pen from the office, you know, and that's stealing and whatever. Okay, well, maybe it is, but I don't really think that's the extent of the, the command. So to really say, wait a second, I want to take that seriously. What does it really mean to, 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 why would God say do not steal? Is there a larger picture there? Well, there is. Because it's not just about making sure you don't accidentally take a little pen or stapler from the office, which you still shouldn't do, but some things happen, right, by accident. It's about cultivating a life of generosity so that the whole scorecard for your life isn't based on how much you get, but how much you give. So you go to some cocktail party, you know, how much did you make last year? Pfft, who cares, man? The question is, how much did you give last year? I don't just mean to the church, I mean in your whole life. That's what the cocktail parties are going to be about in heaven, right? You go to heaven, like, you know, how much did you make? And you're like, who cares? What kind of stupid question is that? This is heaven, man. The status symbol in heaven is how much did you give in your life? That's the status symbol there. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Dude, don't store up stuff for yourselves on earth because it's going to go away. It's going to be worth nothing. If you really want status in heaven, you've got to store up for yourselves treasures there, which is a whole different thing, which requires a whole different orientation to your life. So you're not worried about, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, and my 401k, and blah, blah, blah. What's you go, listen, i got a plan for the future, but I want my life to be marked by generosity. Who can be touched by the things I have to give? That'll rip you up from the inside out, man, because that's it. Most people will never even come close to that kind of thinking. But again, you don't think that if you actually take the command of do not steal so seriously that you reorient your life to where you're living with generosity, that that will not result in you being a loving person? You don't think people want to live next door to a person who cultivates a life of generosity, so if you accidentally leave your shovel outside overnight, you won't wake up and it's gone because they took it? It's like, no, I could live next door to that person because I could leave my door open and they'd never take anything because they're the most giving people that I know. Who doesn't want to hang around with people like that? I mean, this is not that difficult, right? So if loving God's people involves that, I mean, involves obeying his commands, you know, how do you do that? Because I don't want this to be a sermon about works either because it's not about that, but it is about taking God seriously in what he says. And the only way I know how to do that is just by flat-out self-discipline. Just by living your life in such a way that you say, look, it's not about me feeling good. It's not about me at all. It's not about how do I feel. Forget how you feel, man. No one cares how you feel. Sorry, no one does. People care about what you do. They don't care about how you feel. So manage your feelings. But, but by the way, behavior drives feelings more than you think. So you just got to quit. So that's what discipline's about anyway. Discipline's about, listen, I, I really want, it's like this. Um, you know, like, like last night, you know, my daughter had some friends over and they got, we got Rubio's, right? So they got this, the, the chips and the guacamole. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat any chips, right? And then I get there and I'm like, well, I, I just got done preaching with Saturday night and we didn't have anything else and whatever. And I was a little hungry. I'm like, well, I'll just have one. And I know I'm an addictive personality and I just know it. So I go, look, here's my, th I, either I have zero chips or I have 285. Because <laughs> I can't have one. Because I go, well, I'll have one. Well, maybe I have one and then I'll have two. Because I mean, one's nothing. Two's really nothing either. Well, I'll have five. 
And then you have, well, I'll have 10 more because, I mean, those are really good and it's not that, that big of a deal. And then once I have 15, I go, well, I might as well have 20. Once I have 20, I go, well, at this point, I'm already so far down the <laughs> lane. It doesn't matter now, right? I'll just deal with it tomorrow. And I have 285. This is why Clayton Christensen, in his book called How Will You Measure Your Life? He's a Harvard professor. He says it's easier to follow your, your convictions 100% of the time than it is 99% of the time. The way, that you, the way that you make sure you don't eat 284 chips at a Mexican restaurant is by having zero, not by having four. It's just a, so it's the same thing with self-discipline, right? I just begin to live my life in such a way that I go, wait a second, this is really important to me, so I'm not going to like just go halfway. It's like, you know, and that's why sometimes maybe can we come off here like, like, you know, gosh, you guys are pretty serious when it comes to like sexual purity and stuff. Yeah, we are. Because you don't do it halfway. There's no halfway. Now, we make mistakes, but like I said before, we create some margin there. Not that everyone's perfect, but it's not like we're saying, well, we got to, you know, we got to like start getting in with the culture. Like, no. Because it damages people. That's the thing that nobody wants to talk about. You know, when I don't follow God's commands, it's not about you feeling guilty. When you don't follow God's commands, other people in your life get hurt. And it's time that people, we started acknowledging that. When you, you know, what about do not murder? Well, I mean, Jesus says, you know, it's not about, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't kill anybody. Well, good for you, you know. Like Chris Rock says, you know, you want a cookie, you know. I mean, that's great. Uh, like you, I raised my kids, you know. Um, great, good job, you know, you're supposed to. Um, so you didn't, you didn't murder anybody. That's really good for you. That's not the point. The point is, do, are you living a life of actually getting past the bitterness that would drive you to murder? And the anger that exists in the heart and the rage that exists in the heart that makes you hate your brother and your sister. That's the challenge, right? Because if you don't get that, you, you spew off all this venomous stuff to the people around you and it hurts them. And then you call yourself a loving person. See, this is, this is what we're talking about, right? So if we love people, that's disciplining myself. So if we go back to the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, that's the first command. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm going to put God first in my life. And now part of actually doing that is you're going to be here on every weekend. Well, I can't do that. I'm really busy. Well, why are you really busy? Well, because my life is out of control. Well, why is your life out of control? Well, I have all this crazy stuff going on. Okay, that's fine. So you, you go to work and you have this boss and your boss is driving you crazy because there's all this stuff that he or she is making you do, Right? And so the boss is so stressful that you're actually thinking about this person at 3 a.m. You're laying in your bed and your eyes are open. You're like, oh, they got me so stressed out. And they're running your whole life. Well, guess what? When a person is controlling your emotions at 3 a.m., I would call that person an idol. They hold your, they hold your emotional strings. They're playing you like a puppet 24-7. No one's supposed to do that. No one's supposed to do that. You're putting, that person, you're putting that person in the place of God, thinking they control your future and your finances. Maybe they do for a small period of time, but isn't there some dude named God out there who keeps your heart beating and your lungs moving and everything else that actually can take care of you and has always taken care of you since the very beginning? Oh, what about him? Well, I forgot about him. Well, yeah, well, guess what? Well, a good way to remember him is to carve out um, 75 minutes and no more, um, a week here where you come here and listen to it. And all of a sudden you create space and you sing songs like, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. 
brutal. That's not a bad idea, right? Oh yeah, I forgot. He's supposed to be the one in charge of my life. That's pretty good. And guess what? You remember that and your boss shrinks from this big, hairy, ugly, evil giant to this little person. Okay, well, I'll have to deal with this person now, but eventually, you know, maybe we, I can pray and we can move on. And guess what? Your stress level goes down and your capacity increases. Your capacity increases to take care of other people. So now you can shoulder other people's burdens. That's an interesting concept, right? Hey, it's not all about me anymore. Actually, well, I thought you were stressed out. Well, I was, but you know what? I've been realizing that God's in control of everything and I'm not freaked out. So what's going on with you? Oh, I'm really struggling. Well, let me pray for you. Let me care for you. Let me, let, me, let me walk with you. Let me listen to you. Well, now you've become quite a wonderful person to be around. What an amazing transformation. Why? Because you obeyed God's commands. Makes sense to me. Anyway, all these things are connected. So going back to verse five, this is where we have to really end and then we'll be done. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Guys, it starts with Jesus. Without Jesus, you got nothing. You know why? Because without Jesus, God's a mystery. He's a mystery. Without Jesus, God, it, basically the whole game is hide and seek. You gotta, you gotta find God because he, isn't that sad? Like we, if, if Jesus isn't really God, then we would have made up this really cool idea where God would love us so much that he would reveal himself to us by becoming one of us and speaking our language and, and dying in our place. Like every epic movie illustrates over and over and over again this major amazing thought that someone would stand in our place and take the rap for us. You know what I mean? But in truth of the matter, even though we could conceive of such a wonderful thing, the God of the universe is like, oh, I didn't do that. That's dumb. Why would I do that for you guys? I'm staying up here in heaven, man. You guys deal with your issues there. If you need me, I'm here. See if you can find me. Catch me if you can, right? That's every other religion, by the way. It's every other religion. And you want to believe that, you go ahead. I just, I just think that that's like, that's, that gives you a really sad God not even worth worshiping as far as I'm concerned. So it starts with Jesus. See, it's not our works that overcome the world. It's our faith. It's our faith. God, I trust you. I really don't want to. I really don't want to. I really don't want to follow you in this way. I don't want to obey. I, I want to pursue like all this money and power. I want to. But that's 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 going to break me. You are God. You are God. You are God. That's how we do it. If you got a better plan, I'm really open to it. By the way, I can't. I can't seem to find one. People can rip Christianity all day, and they do. Well, that's cool. Just give me a better plan. You know, it's one of my rules. Like you can rip something, but you got to come up with something better. Otherwise, you're just being like a, a bad critic, you know. Anyway, let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, like we, some of us have got to seize this in our lives for the first time. It starts with Jesus. It starts with surrender. And so if that's you and you're going, you know what, I, I realize I've been making these other things gods in my life. I've been, and if I'm honest, I've been acting in a way that is unloving to people. I've hurt people because of my sin against God and I don't want to live like that anymore. Every single human being has got to come to a place like that in their life if they are ever going to have a shot 
at being right with God. It's just an awareness of my own need. So if that's you right where you are, just say, you know what, God, today I need to surrender my life to you. Today I need to put you on the the throne. Take me off. Today I need to ask you to forgive me of the wicked actions that I have done. And ask that they would be crucified with your son Jesus on that cross. Never to be resurrected again. Paid for in full. That's what I ask. And today I want to live my life for you as a follower of Jesus. I will not be perfect, but I want to live as though you are actually real and your words are actually true. God, thank you that you give us this this amazing pattern that's so simple. It's so hard, but it's so simple. We just ask that you would illuminate our, our eyes and our minds and our souls so that we can see what it really means, the real deal, to really love people and to really love you. And in doing that, to just conquer this crazy world. Thank you that you've given us your spirit and that we can do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.